Good morning and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible, one chapter at a time, and we're here in Isaiah 14. And this this just continues this new section here with a universal perspective, just a different perspective from those first 12 chapters like we were talking about. And this first one is still continuing this oracle against Babylon. So it's now taken this broader perspective centuries into the future. We're looking not at the crisis of Assyria invading and siege, uh, sieging Jerusalem, but something much later. In this in this section, there's this judgment pronounced against Babylon, and then today we're going to see it moves on in chapter 14 to an oracle against Assyria, and then after that, another oracle, this time concerning Philistia. So we're just kind of moving around the world here, just one at a time. So really interesting chapter here, making this kind of progress. And we have joining us today as our guest, we've got Pastor Sean Cum, pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Cody, Wyoming. Welcome, brother. Good to have you with us. It is most excellent to be with you this morning. Yeah, it's been a little while, I think. It has. It's been a couple months. Um, I think it was May. Oh, wow. Has yeah. it been May? Oh, May already. My goodness, how the time flies. So I hope, I hope you're doing well. How is everybody in Cody, Wyoming? You know, it's we woke up to snow falling this morning. What? So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, that's uh, it's just a little bit different from the reality that uh, St. Louis and uh, South Orange <laughs> County are waking up to. <laughs> well, you know, don't don't let that keep the tourists still from from staying away. <laughs> it's still beautiful here. Sun's coming out. So that's right. That's right. Uh, that, that's nice. It's nice. Well, it's, it's the snow is nice when it's just enough to be pretty, but not enough to be a nuisance, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very, very good. But yeah, this um, this chapter fourteen. I mean, it really is um, just like three kind of different parts here. It just kind of starts. This is where you start getting momentum, right? I mean, there's a lot of time spent on Babylon, and we talked about that yesterday. How Babylon's just kind of this, in some ways, almost this almost primordial symbol of evil, of universal evil. So it makes sense that Babylon gets focused on, but. Then we gain steam, and it's like we're just going to go rapid fire. We're going to go, you know, Assyria, and then Philistia, and then next time it's going to be Moab, and we're just going to go like just one by one, like dominoes. Yes, yes, and then beyond that, you get to Damascus and Cush and Egypt, and and so it's it's almost I don't know if it's fair to say domino effect, but everybody just gets there. The Lord takes his um, shot at them, speaks his word of judgment and nobody is left um unchecked yeah but well that's right every everybody's involved in and then like i think it's in chapter 24 or 25 that it's just we kind of again just look at the whole of it all and um it's interesting because these are sort of as we go through these though these are sort of like the lost chapters of isaiah because none of this is in the lectionary right we had um, isaiah 12 in the lectionary like we talked about because it's this beautiful um, like him, it's kind of like a psalm. We have it in actually one of our orders of service in the service of prayer and uh, preaching. But then 13 through 24, just you don't really ever see these come up, do you? No, no, they they don't seem to show up. Uh, they don't show up in the readings and, and the pericopes, and they don't show up much at all. We don't get many hymns <laughs> written. <laughs> about, you know, it's hard to find a good hymn written, um, uh, an oracle against 
Assyria, for instance. <laughs> you, you know, but I, I might like that hymn. I mean, I don't. That seems kind of. It could be interesting. Um, I don't. Could, I don't know. Like, how, how, how would how would that go? It's like, um, come, let us rain down fire on Moab, or you know, I don't. I don't know. Well, you could have a stanza for each each oh, there of the nations, go. each of the places. Oh, that's fantastic. It could be like one of those like long like ten verse hymns or something. I, sure, I yeah, like it probably wouldn't be a, a good lot. distribution hymn, yeah. but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it it could it could serve. It, there's probably a purpose or a place for it. Yes. All right, all right. This is um, if anybody listening has any kind of artistic or poetic talent, your, your challenge has been issued. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, well, well, let's um. But yeah, t- today though, focusing on just three, and it, I mean, and it really is still mostly about Babylon. Uh, I mean, it's still like half the chapter at least is going to be focusing on Babylon, and um, I, I mean, I mean, really, Assyria. Is, as much as Assyria, this is actually kind of the thing that weirds me um, out a little bit. Is that as much as Assyria has been the focus of the first twelve chapters of Isaiah? It gets this short shrift here. I mean, like, there's like going to be only what is it four verses, and it's only judgment in a very kind of broad and general sense. Um, it's nothing like this specificity that you get against Babylon. Babylon's still definitely the focus here. Yes. And in fact, I just left my women's Bible study and we are in Jeremiah 24. And um, we were just studying the, the list of kings at uh, this moment from Josiah onward. And mm. Um, Babylon takes care of Assyria and Egypt. And so I can see where Assyria doesn't really get a lot of press here because Babylon has um, quieted Assyria. They're, they're not much of a big player right at the moment, um, nor is Egypt for that matter. Babylon is, is top dog. Um, and so Babylon is going to get a lot of attention because they they are really the the power of the neighborhood at that moment. Well, that's so you raise actually a really interesting question, and this is maybe the last question that we should take up in terms of introductory matters before we get mm-hmm. into reading. But time, time, right? Because like we were saying in the first twelve chapters, it's right around the time of the handoff between Ahaz and his son Hezekiah. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of all hinging around that the the opulence and the injustice that went on during Jotham and Ahaz. And then the punishment that occurs with the fall of Samaria, with with Hezekiah uh, resisting mm-hmm. and um, sur- waiting out and surviving the siege. So it's like kind of all pivoting around 700-ish, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, th- and then we move on to the stuff about Babylon, and we're talking, I mean, this is this is much later. And, and then, like we right. said in the, in the last several verses, you know, hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant uh, palaces its time is close at hand, its days will not be prolonged. I mean, that's even further into the future when Babylon's just ultimately, you know, just raised to the ground and it's nothing but, you know, sand dunes. I mean, that's that's even further into the future still. Yeah. So yes. Yes. Uh, the perspective, it jumps a lot from the first 12 chapters to chapters 13 and 14. But then 
at the end of 14 here, what's it say for that oracle against Philistia in the year that Ahaz, um, in the year that King Ahaz died? So we're going to go back to roughly that time, like around 700. So what, what do you think is going on with the time shifting around? You know, that that is something that is somewhat of a head-scratcher for those of us in the West, where we'd like things very, very chronological, very linear. Um, in a Middle Eastern way of time, and certainly the Holy Spirit behind this and revealing this, uh, uh, Jewish mindset, a um, Hebrew mindset of reading this, and it was certainly hearing this, they can track with this and keep it all straight, and um, it's not a problem. But for us to hear this sort of circular bringing back around to history, and we hear things unfold, and then all of a sudden you're back to um, an earlier time, it, for us, we think, whoa, 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 I thought we were going forward, and now you're bringing me back again? Um, now I'm confused. And, and so for us, that, that is a little disconcerting, uh, confusing at times. And, um, and yet, you know, that's the way Isaiah lays it out. That's the way the Holy Spirit, um, God breathes it, pens it. Um, and so um, we, we see into the future, you're exactly right, you know, Babylon... Um, is world power, you know, or, um, late 600s. Right. Um, Judah Falls, late 600s, and um, early 500s, you know. Um, right. And and so um, even then the fall of Babylon's happening after that. Right. You know, and so we're looking, we're looking um, a little ways here into the future, and yet then it comes back around and... So, you know, we, we just got to hang on and and, <laughs> and uh, try to make some sense out of all of it. Right. Well, hopefully, I, I think that there'll, there'll be some things along the way here that might help with some of the, the time questions. But um, besides, like, time stuff, there's also just a lot of really interesting turns of phrase and expressions here. I'm thinking about, like, the, the shades rising up to, to yeah. meet the king of Babylon. I'm thinking about that, that uh, epitaph, the... Uh, the day star, you know, so there's interesting stuff here um, to look at besides the time. So I hope we can, it is a, you know, with everything going on, it's going to be kind of a longer chapter, but I hope we can at least kind of touch on some of these things. But so to that end, would you say a prayer for us and for everybody listening as we get started? Yes, let's. Heavenly Father, we beg you as your people, that you not forsake us, but that you look upon us and you give us, as we sojourn throughout this world, direction in our lives, that wherever you lead us and you guide us, that we not be taken captive by those things of this world that would detract us from our goal of heaven and being in the promised land which you desire to give us and which is already ours through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and start reading this here with verse one. We already, I read over again the, the last verse of the previous chapter, but just that description in general just mentions all these wild animals, right? Just about hmm. how, um, you know, we, we were left with a Babylon that's no longer left with any human inhabitant. And so here we go then with chapter 14. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob and the peoples will take them and bring them to their place and the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captives to those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. All right, so just taking like the first two verses here, um, I mean, this this is this seems like it's something that's actually kind of easy to identify. This seems like a straightforward description, in some ways, of the return from the Babylonian exile. Yes, very much so, and it, it's interesting and beautiful gospel at the beginning, then, where um, the rest are, are are oracles against other nations. So I, I certainly appreciate the introduction, um, hearing good news of having the Lord having compassion on Jacob and choosing Israel and the restoration of Jacob and Israel coming back to their own land and sojourners, um, the people that are not, that I, I think we push it forward, the Gentiles, let's bring it into Paul's own Right. Um, words to the Romans and the Galatians, um, joining the people of God of the of the Old Testament, um, and being grafted into God's people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and um, yeah, certainly the, the word of gospel is welcome, and we were we were kind of talking about that last time in chapter thirteen <clears throat> because chapter thirteen is just sort of unrelenting, and we said, you know, the, the closest you get to maybe. A more explicit gospel is maybe like in verse 12 of chapter 13 that, you know, I will make people more rare than fine gold. The idea that, well, this fire is really hot and really intense, but maybe something's being refined out of it, you know, but it was kind of like the only, um, you know, hint there. And, and I'm thinking that this is actually why you have this marked off as a new chapter, because as we've seen, um, you know, whoever put these chapter numbers in there, um, you know, which was not Isaiah. Uh, or God right. necessarily. <laughs> um, right. Th- they seemed to like to start a new chapter when they came across gospel stuff, which is which is interesting. Cause we, we we saw that with Isaiah chapter nine. Uh, I think we saw that with Isaiah chapter. I think it was like twelve, right? And we saw how these chapters. They're not really new chapters, like they're not like really new sections. This is just continuing on the same oracle. The first word, which the ESV does give us this time, um, is just for or because. Yes. So, I mean, it really is just continuing what you had going on. He's actually explaining why is it that God is stirring up the Medes against the Babylonians, as it said back in 1317. You know, why is this all being done? It's all for the sake of Jacob. It's all for the sake of Israel. And that is a grand scope of of life that can certainly get lost, um, which is a good reminder to us also that we become so focused on our little slice of history, world, 
that there is a much broader picture of what's going on as as world events unfold that God uses all of it for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of his people. It isn't maybe quite evident to us, but the children of God, um, even here at the beginning of chapter 14, need to be assured that everything else that's going on around them and to them is for the purpose of the Lord's compassion and getting them back to their own land and ultimately getting them to heaven. Right. Well, and as you were saying, too, not even just to them, but the people who, and in the words here, attach themselves to the house of yep. Jacob. And we saw that in prior chapters, how there there's this description that, you know, even after everything that the Assyrians do, there's going to be something even of the north that is able to come and, and go down to Jerusalem and worship. And that there's going to be people from the nations who are going to come down and join themselves to Israel, right? And so here again, we see that in another, another way, another setting here, that every time that God does all this stuff for the sake of, of Israel, I mean, it really is ultimately for the sake of the world, because this is the, the beacon on, on, on the hill, right? for all the peoples of the earth to come and join themselves to this. And this gets into our stuff in the New Testament about, you know, being grafted into the family of Abraham and adopted in uh, as children of the household of faith and, and all the rest of it. So like you were saying uh, earlier with, with Paul and bringing in the Gentiles, it really is for the sake of Israel, Israel as a blessing for the rest of the world as originally promised to Abraham. And as, uh, at least those of us that use the one-year um, series of readings. Most recently, the one healed leper, who was a Samaritan, horror of horrors, right? right. Um, and uh, the parable of the um, Samaritan helping the man in mm -hmm. the ditch, the half-dead right. man, you know, that even the Samaritan, the woman at the well, Right. Um, are being grafted into the people of God. Who would have ever thought such a thing right. could ever happen? Well, that's right. Certainly by the time you get to our Lord's Day, you know, around the, the, the turn of the uh, millennium as we reckon it, <laughs> um, again, that's, you know, putting the chapter number in, so to speak, because of hindsight, right? <laughs> right, right, um, exactly. But um, but certainly by that time, not many people would have suspected that. But we already see that, like hinted, um, hinted at in, in the events here that we see with the return from the Assyrian exile and the return from the Babylonian exile that... That there, there was some hope for those folks who were up in Samaria, um, that God had not forgotten about them yet. Um, but let's go ahead here and, and keep pressing on here. Those, those yes, two, two, first two verses are important, but we want to read uh, what happens here in verse 3, because this is where things take an interesting turn. It, it comes into the, the form here of a, a taunt. Which is um, this is just an interesting kind of genre here. There, there are taunts um, in the Old Testament. There's there's not too many. It's not like it's um, you have taunts all the time. But let's go ahead and check this out and see how this fits in with what we've read so far. This is picking it up here in verse three. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. How the oppressor has ceased, the insolent fury ceased, 
The Lord has broken off the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you, all who were leaders of the earth. It raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer you and say to you, You too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb, but you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land, you have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. All right. So, I mean, it, it's it's very extensive. I mean, it really takes up the, the largest portion here of the chapter. And it it's, it, I mean, there's, there's several things that you can comment on, but like the whole shape of it, right, is just basically Babylon is destroyed and the whole earth is destroyed like celebrating and everybody is happy that to finally be rid of Babylon. Yes. And there is truly a sigh of relief. And in the Lord's taunt here woven into it, we find out the arrogance of um, Babylon, Sargon the second um, we find out the incredible um, cruelty power that was wielded through the um, language that the Lord uses and just how um, mighty the, he has fallen and um, how truly in the words of uh, the use of the word Sha'ol, mm. you, know, you, can't, you can't get any lower in the pits of Sheol, the place of death. Right. You just can't. And so, you know, you, if he thought he was this far up, now Babylon has crashed and fallen to such a low depth. Right, right. And that's, and that's, um, it's, it's interesting to consider that because there's those two points there. One, 
just because they've been so brutal. They've been so unrelenting and merciless. I mean, that's the description. Who struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows. Who didn't let the prisoners go home. I mean, Babylon was just particularly ruthless in the way it treated everybody else. Um, you know, maybe in the city of Babylon, things were pretty nice, but man, the way that they just spat on the rest of the world. And we, we talked about that a little bit with uh, Pastor Reedy yesterday, just how, you know, they even had an alliance going on um, with with the Medes. Um, and, and then what did the Medes get for it all? Were they co-rulers with the Babylonians? No, they were treated like servants. And that's why they decided to come and like, you know, come after them and get their revenge. Um, because they just, these, these guys, they betray their allies even. So, uh, you have really, we got to appreciate this, just how, like, it's just <laughs> the rest of the world is happy at this, not just Israel. Um, but hold, hold that thought. We got to go into a short yeah. break here, but we'll take this up after we uh, come back from, um, a few of these, um, promotions here. So hang with us. We're looking at Isaiah 14 on thy strong word. Be right back. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance on KFUO, inviting you to tune in to the weekend edition of the program, the new time of 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings, Central Time. There'll be a different text and theme each week and plenty of encouragement and strength, which only the Lord's Word can supply. So join me for a quarter hour of God's power and strength. That's Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. Saturday and Sunday mornings on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 14 here. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa, and we're joined today by Pastor Sean Cumb, pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Cody, Wyoming, where, gasp, it's only October 2nd, and it's still, it's already snowing, right? Crazy. Um, it, it's not uncommon here in Southern California to have, like, like be in the 80s or the 90s on Halloween. <laughs> it's just... Uh, different different scenario but yeah we're, so we're looking here at Isaiah 14 and, and we were just looking at how just everybody is happy that Babylon has fallen I mean and this is, is we should get into this but I want to make sure I remind everybody 
if as we're going through this, um, there, there's a lot of things that are connected to Babylon. I mean, we talked about, I mean, you know, Daniel, uh, we talked about, you know, Genesis chapter 11, we talked about Revelation. If something jogs your jogs your memory, or if you got a question or comment here for us, if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, call in with your questions or comments on Isaiah 14. Uh, also, if you're in Wyoming or elsewhere in the country, 1-800-730-2727, or you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So it's not just even, right, that the nations are, are, are happy, but the, the, at least in the poetry here, nature itself is like breathing this sigh of relief as you're putting it. Um, in verse eight, the cypresses rejoice at you, the cedars of Lebanon saying, you know, um, and I remember when we were talking with Pastor Reedy yesterday, we were looking at, at verse, where was it? It was back in the beginning of verse two of chapter 13 about talking about a, a signal on a bare hill, how is standard procedure in, in warfare at the time you go, you find your hill. If it has trees on it, you cut them all down. And that lets you then, you know, put your signals up there to like move your army around and coordinate your, your troops. And so, you know, the, the, the trees of the world are like breathing a sigh of relief that the warfare and mercilessness of Babylon has finally come to an end. I mean, isn't that something that, that the description is like, you know, just not even just the, the human component of creation, but just, you know, the trees even are happy to see this guy gone. Oh, exactly. And it, it uh, makes me wonder if Tolkien didn't pick up on that a little bit with the end. Right. And Lord of the Rings, you know, the the trees rejoice, too, when yeah. when the evil is finally gone also. You know, nature, yeah. nature enjoys the peace. There is a little glimmer of the restoration, the new creation of, of heaven and earth. Well, and, and see, I think that's, um, I, by the way, thanks for mentioning that with Tolkien, right? I mean, like, uh, and I love how they did that in the movie version, too, with, like, the Ents and how they were all, you know, I mean, they actually, in, in fact, in, in the movie, like, you, you see just very dramatically how they go down to um, Saruman's tower, and, and it, can, it was an Isengard, right? Okay, here we are. I'm just trying to, like, you know, reveal how much of a nerd I am here. But, like, but yeah, because, I mean, they were just cutting down the trees left and right you, just because the gears of war require the destruction of nature, right? Um, and, and so you see that how they rise up and they actually literally are, like, attacking, um, you know, Isengard because of what, what they've done. And that just gets to the universal scope here, see? And, and that's where I think it's interesting because we were talking about how Babylon is a symbol of universal evil. Yeah, it, it's true on the one hand that <laughs> there's going to be a, a collective sigh of relief, just politically speaking. Um, in, a, in a poetic way, nature will finally have a little less warfare to worry about. But on a cosmic level, God, this, is, this is pointing to how God will deal with cosmic evil, not just the king of Babylon, but the king of all evil, so to speak, um, and how all of creation is waiting for that day. And you get into, like, you know, in the New Testament with Paul saying, like, the creation groans, right, um, with, with, in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. There is this sense that all of creation really is just, just you know, painfully longing for redemption from the rule of evil. Very much so. And then when we get to the very end of Revelation, we see the um, 
trees on either side of the river of life with the leaves for uh, the healing of, mm-hmm. of nations. You right. know, there they are, restored, um, beautiful, and um, even creation is new, and there's, there's no war, there's no sickness, but um, everything is healthy, and it's, it's beautiful. And so even in terms of the, the physical nature, of creation, and, and certainly here, even in a, a fallen world, even in a fallen sinful world with Babylon fallen, um, nature even sighs and takes right. a breather. Yeah, right. No, and and it's um, it's in that universal scope that you know that you that you see um, again in Revelation that when we're talking about the king of Babylon, that maybe we're talking about, in a certain sense, more than just the king of Babylon, literally speaking. And, and I think you kind of get that in verse 12, you know, and, and you get this description, how you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, and that imagery. So we're, we're talking about, you know, that, that first star, the morning star, and this is a star that's, you know, um, known, to, I feel like it seems like every culture has like a name or like a, a way of referring to this star, which of course we know is technically speaking not a star, but the planet Venus. It, just because it's it's so close to us, we can see it. Um, it's the it's kind of the first and the last star that you see um, with every transition um, from day to night and back to day again. And this this star always has special significance in traditional cultures and. It's interesting because it seems like it's also a symbol for a particular character in Scripture, which we might be getting an allusion to in Luke 10 and Revelation 12, talking about this star falling from heaven. So, I don't know, kind of un- unpack this a little bit for us here. Who Who is the king of Babylon in a cosmic sense? Well, certainly, um, since Sunday was the feast of St. Michael and all angels. Yeah, how fitting. We, Yeah, we certainly now see the uh, fall from heaven here being Lucifer, Satan, um, the light bearer. And so we, um, we see that Babylon becomes, I'm going to use the word personified then, um, or Babylon becomes... Uh, I guess, uh, a symbol as a nation for Lucifer, Mm -hmm. um, for Satan, um, in one sense. You know, it's, 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 he takes various um, fashion forms along the way throughout history, but here we get a glimpse of this, this is, this is Satan here. Um, You've fallen from heaven, just like Babylon has now fallen. And in one sense, the curtain has been pulled back. And who's really behind all of it? Who is behind um, the evil of nations? Who is behind the persecution of God's people, the enslavement of them, the destruction? Um, who brings such hate? And, you know, it's, it's Satan. That, that's apart from God also, by the way, using the exile to bring his people to repentance. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that aspect of all of this, too, right. later. But um, 
from this perspective in Isaiah, we're seeing that there is something behind all of this. It's a little right. bit like also um, in First Corinthians, when Paul says, you know, the, the statues, the false gods behind the altars are truly dead. Mm. What is behind that are the demons. Right. You know, it, it, it's the devils. It's the demons behind all of that. It's Satan. Yeah. Well, no, and that's a good point because, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, Babylonian religion did the same thing as, you know, Greek religion or um, Roman religion that you would associate, the, especially the great lights, you know, um, basically everything between like Mercury and Saturn, the ones that you can see with the naked eye, um, would, would all be associated with gods and, and like all those celestial bodies and, and, and worshipped as such. And, and so, you know, here, you know, Venus, you know, um, you know, which would be, well, I mean, associated with the, I mean, the goddess of beauty and, and some of the, some of the pantheons that we're more familiar with, um, you know, was, is, is kind of what we're talking about here, um, which actually it's interesting because don't we have in scripture that description of Satan as one who masquerades like an angel of light, like one who kind of exactly. has the appearance of being yeah. beautiful, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's just so interesting how the idea here like what we saw in the Exodus, is judgment against the false gods. The, the false gods, the god of this age, has has is well in this in this vision anyway, is getting thrown down. Which is interesting because when our Lord then mentions this in, in Luke ten, there's this sense with that we see that you know when is when is Satan really thrown down? You know when when does that happen? There, there's two kind of big events, right? During our Lord's own ministry, as he's going around casting out demons, it's like the, the house of Satan, it's like Babylon is just being pulled apart brick by brick, right? I mean, he, and yeah. the, he is sending his apostles, by the, by the power of the Spirit, they're dismantling him, and he is falling, like, right then and there. Um, but we see it in a big way then, right, with our Lord's death and resurrection and ascension, because when he goes up, there's only one direction for the devil to go. Exactly. Yes, yes. And we also see that with Jesus' descent into hell, mm. um, when when he descends to announce his victory. You know, right. and he says, you know, by the way, guys, um, demons, I, you haven't conquered me. I have conquered you. God is not dead, and um, I've won. Yeah, well, let's so, so let's talk about that a little bit because that, yeah. that's an interesting thing. Because you know, going down to hell in the sense of you know um, announcing the victory to to the demons, that that is a little bit of a different idea, I think, than the one that we have here about going down to mm -hmm. Sheol, right? True, and that's true. something yeah. that yeah. it's um it, it's something we got to keep straight because um, yeah. it's easy yeah. to. To mix the two up, but so we we we, we see that right in, in verse nine, you know, shale beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. What sort of imagery is this for the the welcoming committee, so to speak, for the for, for the king of Babylon? Yes, and I didn't mean to. I, I wasn't thinking about. Um, oh I, no, no, no! I, I, I know, I know I you you, you weren't, but, but no, it's just no, no, it was no. kind of a convenient segue. Right, no, no, you're exactly right there. Yes, all oh, wow, that that word is uh, multifaceted, depending on context, and that that word is is a little complex at times. Here, it is describing the place of the dead, 
And also we get certainly um, that it is where Babylon, its um, leaders, its kings are going, and the shades, those who have preceded, um, they, they greet those who are coming there, um, Sargon II, for instance, mm-hmm. and you're dead just like the rest of them. Right. It's not a place of glory. It is not a place of um, pomp. It is a um, it is a place of death. And um, it says here, you too have become as weak as we. Right. You have become like us. Right. Um, there's no pomp. There's no harps. And then, oh wow, verse eleven, um, maggots and worms all right yeah i know that, that, that's right i mean it, it is it's interesting because it seems like in many ways to be just like a poetic description of like what literally is going on in the ground right like you know maggots yeah. and worms right that it's this is this is sort of a, a a poetic way of describing death just as a as a physical thing that awaits all human beings and certainly you see in the in the psalter you know, David even, right, is asking for salvation, you know, save me from Sheol, right? Which is not to say that he's afraid of going to hell necessarily as much as he's trying to say, you know, just just save my life. May, may I not die? May I not be buried today, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And, um, you know, in other places where Sheol becomes representative of place of permanent death, um, and that there is no light, there is no hope there. Um, also, God's people then say, I, I don't want to go that, there. I don't want to go in that kind of place of death. God, please spare me of such a place. Give me hope. Give me light. Give me, um, give me Jesus. Give me heaven. And um, here... Here the ruler is being welcomed, though, to a place that into the ground, and that is, as we then describe, um, here later described in the New Testament, um, on the resurrection, um, the last day, the resurrection of the living and the dead, the day of the living and the dead, judgment of the living and the dead, the resurrection of the dead. For God's people, it's a wonderful day, cemeteries emptied. But for those who have not died in Jesus, it is a horrid day, absolutely horrid day. Right. And, um, you know, the, where the worm does not die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right, right, right. The, the, the permanence of it, right, I think is, is, is the key idea that, you know, and, and this is the way that, that David talks about it. You go down to Sheol and there's no more worshiping God. There, there's no more giving thanks. There's no, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a permanent state you know it's really just kind of a grim perspective of describing just what what death is is like and the the interesting thing kind of connecting it then this is this is personifying uh, you used that word earlier it's a, it's a good word here the king here is personifying more than just a particular guy sargon the second seems like a good candidate for you know kind of a one to one correlation but you know he we saw that he's personifying 
cosmic evil, I mean, even Satan. Um, but on a certain level, he's personifying the whole kingdom of Babylon. And so the idea is it's not just that, you know, a king is dying, but Babylon is dying. We're actually yes, getting yes. rid of this terrible, terrible, merciless, brutal kingdom. Um, and that's what you get at the end there in verse 21. Why is this is such brutality and mercilessness being heaped upon um, the one who was brutal and merciless himself? It's because in verse 21, we're trying to prevent what? Lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. God is snuffing out this kingdom because, I mean, it's the way that you've got to eradicate a cancer. If you leave any part of it left, it's just going to come back with a vengeance and it's going to take over everything. The, the whole of Babylon has to go down to Sheol, the whole of it. There can't be any remnant or else it's just going to come back and there will be nothing but Babylon left. Yes, yes. Um, this made me think of Herod um, the Tetrarch in mm. um, Acts 12, where um, he had uh, been angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and uh, the people on a particular day when Herod um, puts on his robes, the people had cried out the voice of a god and not a man, and the angel of the Lord strikes him dead because he did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. he just he falls over dead. He's been eaten by worms. You know, wow. Well, you know, there's a ruler. Um, right. Even before he's dead. I mean, as he's, wow. Right. Um, right. Eaten yeah, by just, worms, yeah. even then. Mm-hmm. Showing his evil, you know, he's he's rotten through and through, even mm-hmm. before he makes it into the ground. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, it's that way that kind of Sheol is kind of seen as is not just um you know the ground, but just kind of that that kind of cosmic evil, like we're talking about, that that even can corrupt people in 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 their life, right? So that there's a the stench of death, in, in a way of speaking, that kind of is already you know filling their nostrils um, as as they commit themselves to to evil and and brutality in their life. Certainly, yeah, you know, and, there, and there's just I mean, you know, goodness, I mean, it's very easy to spend like an entire time just talking oh, about. Sheol, and, and certainly, you know, um, you were bringing up already, too, the connection, of course, um, you, you get the apostles citing the psalm, you know, you will not abandon your Holy One um, to Sheol or let him see corruption. That's That psalm then is taken as a way of predicting the Lord Jesus, that, you know, he, in a sense, went down to Sheol, right? You know, he descended into hell in the sense of Sheol. He he was dead like the rest of us. He was in a tomb like, like the rest of us, you know, as weak as us as it said in the first part of what we read, but he didn't stay that way on the third day. Right. And that's, um, that's, that's the resurrection connection there, but let's, we don't have much time left. Let me go ahead and read read the rest of the chapter. And then we can kind of make just a couple of observations here. Um, this last part that we didn't read is kind of the, the kind of prose conclusion of this part on Babylon. So the poem, the taunt is done. And it's at this point, just kind of a kind of concluding comment on Babylon. And then we have a word against Assyria and a word against Philistia. And we kind of can ask a couple questions about, you know, how do these things fit together? All right. So picking it up at verse 22, then. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. 
and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died came this oracle. Rejoice not, O Philistia, all of you, that the rod that struck you is broken, for from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying fiery serpent. And the firstborn of the poor will graze, and the needy lie down in safety, and I will kill your root with famine, and your remnant it will slay. Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. What will one answer the messengers of the nation? The Lord has founded Zion, and in her the afflicted of his people find refuge. Okay, so uh, a few things. Basically, we had a threefold solemn declaration of the Lord, which was just confirming everything, right, um, against Babylon. And then you have you have this word against Assyria, which it's interesting. I will break the Assyrian in my land, which I think that's an important part to give us perspective on what kind of what kind of time frame we're talking about with Assyria. And, and then finally, then we just actually have a description of the death of Ahaz and the son of Ahaz coming with a vengeance against Philistia. So. I've given you three doors here. Which one do you want to open? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind. <laughs> it's not time for all three. so. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not sure which door Carol Merrill is going to open up here, uh, going back to an older um, game show. But um, some people of a certain age will get that <laughs> reference, and, and some people won't. Um, wow. Well, let's let's go the um, Assyria being in... Okay. Um, my land, yes. Yeah. First okay. twenty-five that I will break the Assyrian in my land tells us, you know, that Assyria is there now, and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and um, saying, you know, you're you're not to be in the promised land. You've taken um, place in. You're unholy. You're an enemy. This is my place. And um, these are my people, and um, this isn't what I desired or designed for my people, and you need to leave. And, right, um, exactly. And, and so I think then, it, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, when was Assyria in the Promised Land, and uh, when were they on the mountains, right, of Judah? Well, when they laid siege to Jerusalem. So it, it seems like actually with, with the Babylon oracle behind us, we've actually kind of returned to the time frame of all the rest of what we've been talking about right around this siege of Jerusalem. Um, and, and, and really it's a fitting description because you have in that second half of 25, 
his yoke shall depart from them, his burden from their shoulder. I mean, that sounds like a really good poem to describe what a siege is like. It's a burden. The people in the city, they can't leave. They're stuck. They have they have this weight over them. And certainly it, it is an ominous weight that they're just there waiting um, to see how long will we last? Who's going to outlast the other? When will this siege come off? You know, what's going to happen to us? You know, that kind of looming foreboding and, and weighing down. Um, it, it seems like it's, it's just um, God saying, hey, this siege is going to break. Yes, and also the incredible dependence then upon God to keep, um, sustain his people, but also the just the horrid things that go on in the city then. Also, right. water, food, mm-hmm. um, and the, the, you know, the historical um, records of what has happened in Jerusalem in the past when sieges have been um, inflicted upon upon them, you know. And finally, when is the enemy going to breach the city walls, and when are they going to overtake us? Who is going to deliver yes, us? Exactly. Yeah, no, that that that's right. I mean, like all all you can do, right, is just just is just pray and ask for God to deliver from the siege, and and so in in that time, then that that's and this is kind of just maybe like we can say briefly something about door number three and just kind of crack it open without going through it, perhaps. Um, but like you have this idea, this is happening right around the you know Hezekiah is king, right, and and in this oracle to Philistia. King Ahaz dies, but it's interesting the way that, that Hezekiah is described at saying, hey, Philistia, don't don't be all excited that, you know, the rod that struck you is broken, which is a poetic way of referring to Ahaz dying. He's saying, hey, look, because if you thought that Ahaz was bad, if you thought he was a snake, well, guess who Hezekiah is going to be like? He's going to be like an adder. He's going to be like a flying, fiery serpent, which, what's the word for that in Hebrew? Seraph a flying, fiery serpent. It's so interesting that Isaiah in chapter 6 saw seraphim and Hezekiah here is being likened to those burning ones. So I think we only have like 20 seconds left, so that'll just have to be a kind of fun, (laughs) kind of ponderous thought there. But uh, so good having you. I can't believe we didn't have you on since May. It's been so long, but so good having you with us and uh, taking a look at this uh, really just multifaceted chapter here. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Um, everybody, that was Pastor Sean Cum, Pastor of Christ the King Lutheran Church in Cody, Wyoming. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to keep marching through this book of Isaiah, looking at the other oracles against the nations. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Till next time, peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.